For until we know that, being adopted in Jesus Christ, we are God's children, and consequently, that the inheritance of this world is ours, if we touch one morsel of meat, we are thieves, for we are deprived of and banished from all the blessings that God made by reason of Adam's sin, until we get possession of them in our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is faith that must cleanse us, then will all meats be clean to us. That is, we may use them freely without wavering. If men enjoin spiritual laws upon us, we need not observe them, being assured that such obedience cannot please God. For in so doing, we set up rulers to govern us, making them equal with God, who reserveth all power to himself. Thus the government of the soul must be kept safe and sound in the hands of God. Therefore, if we allow so much superiority to men that we suffer them to enwrap our souls with their own bands, we so much lessen and diminish the power and empire that God hath over us. And thus the humbleness that we might have in obeying the traditions of men would be worse than all the rebellion in the world because it is robbing God of his honor and giving it as a spoil to mortal men. St. Paul speaketh of the superstition of some of the Jews who would have men still observe the shadows and figures of the law, but the Holy Ghost hath pronounced a sentence which must be observed to the end of the world, that God hath not bound us at this day to such a burden as was borne by the old fathers, but hath cut off that part which he had commanded relative to the abstaining from meat. For it was a law, but for a season. Seeing God hath thus set us at liberty, what rashness it is for worms of the earth to make new laws, as though God had not been wise enough. When we allege this to the papists, they answer that St. Paul spake of the Jews, and of meats that were forbidden by the law. This is true, but let us see whether this answer be to any purpose or worth receiving. St. Paul not only saith that it is lawful for us to use that which was forbidden, but he speaketh in general terms, saying, All things are clean. Thus we see that God hath here given us liberty concerning the use of meat, so that he will not hold us in subjection as were the old fathers. Therefore, seeing God hath abrogated that law which was made by him, and will not have it in force any longer, what shall we think when we see men inventing traditions of their own, and not content themselves with what God hath shown them? In the first place, they still endeavor to hold the Church of Christ under the restrictions of the Old Testament. But God will have us governed as men of years and discretion, which have no need of instruction suitable for children. They set up man's devices and say we must keep them under pain of deadly sin, whereas God will not have his own law to be observed among us at this day relative to types and shadows, because it was all ended at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Shall it then be lawful to observe what men have framed in their own wisdom? Do we not see that it is a matter which goeth directly against God? St. Paul setteth himself against such deceivers. 
against such as would bind Christians to abstain from meats as God had commanded in his law. If a man say it is but a small matter to abstain from flesh on Friday or in Lent, let us consider whether it be a small matter to corrupt and bastardize the service of God. For surely those that go about to set forth and establish the tradition of men set themselves against that which God hath appointed in his word and thus commit sacrilege. Seeing God will be served with obedience, let us beware and keep ourselves within those bounds which God hath set, and not suffer men to add anything to it of their own. There is something worse in it than all this, for they think it is a service that deserveth something from God to abstain from eating flesh. They think it a great holiness, and thus the service of God, which should be spiritual, is banished, as it were, while men busy themselves about foolish trifles. As the common saying is, they leave the apple for the paring. We must be faithful and stand fast in our liberty. We must follow the rule which is given us in the word of God, and not suffer our souls to be brought into slavery by new laws forged by men. For it is a hellish tyranny which lesseneth God's authority and mixeth the truth of the gospel with figures of the law, and perverteth and corrupteth the true service of God which ought to be spiritual. Therefore, let us consider how precious a privilege it is to give thanks to God with quietness of conscience, being assured it is His will and pleasure that we should enjoy His blessings. And that we may do so, let us not entangle ourselves with the superstitions of men, but be content with what is contained in the pure simplicity of the gospel. Then, as we have shown concerning the first part of our text, unto them that are pure, all things will be pure. When we have received the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that we shall be cleansed from our filthiness and blemishes, for by His grace we are made partakers of God's benefits, and are taken for His children, although there be nothing but vanity in us. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. By this St. Paul meaneth that whatsoever proceedeth from those that are defiled and unbelieving is not acceptable to God, but is full of infection. While they are unbelieving, they are foul and unclean. And while they have such filthiness in them, whatsoever they touch becomes polluted with their infamy. Therefore all the rules and laws they can make shall be nothing but vanity, for God disliketh whatsoever they do, yea, he utterly abhorreth it. Although men may torment themselves with ceremonies and outward performances, yet all these things are vain until they become upright in heart. For in this the true service of God commenceth. So long then as we are faithless, we are filthy before God. These things ought to be evident to us, but hypocrisy is so rooted within us that we are apt to neglect them. It will readily be confessed that we cannot please God by serving Him until our hearts be rid of wickedness. 
God strove with the people of old time about the same doctrine, as we see especially in the second chapter of the prophet Haggai, where he asketh the priests, If a man touch a holy thing, whether he shall be made holy or not, the priests, answered no on the contrary if an unclean man touch a thing whether it shall become unclean or no the priest answered and said it shall be unclean so is this nation saith the lord and so are the works of their hands now let us notice what is contained in the figures and shadows of the law if an unclean man had handled anything it became unclean, and therefore must be cleansed. Our Lord saith, Consider what ye be, for ye have nothing but uncleanness and filth, yet notwithstanding ye would content me with your sacrifices, offerings, and such like things. But, he saith, as long as your minds are entangled with wicked lust, as long as some of ye are whoremongers, adulterers, blasphemers, and perjurers, as long as ye are full of guile, cruelty, and spitefulness, your lives are utterly lawless and full of all uncleanness. I cannot abide it, how fair soever it may seem before men. We see then that all the services we can perform until we are truly reformed in our heart are but mockeries, and God condemneth and rejecteth every whit of them. But who believeth these things to be so? When the wicked who are taken in their wickedness feel any remorse of conscience, they will endeavor by some means or other to compound with God by performing some ceremonies. They think it sufficient to satisfy the minds of men, believing that God ought likewise to be satisfied therewith. This is a custom which has prevailed in all ages. It is not only in this text of the prophet Haggai that God rebuketh men for their hypocrisy and for thinking that they may obtain his favor with trifles, but it was a continual strife which all the prophets had with the Jews. It is said in Isaiah 1, 13, 14, and 15, Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. And again it is said, Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Amos 5.22 God here showeth us that the things which he himself had commanded were filthy and unclean when they were observed and abused by hypocrites. Therefore, let us learn that when men serve God after their own fashion, they beguile and deceive themselves. It is said in another text of Isaiah, Who hath required these things at your hands? Wherein it is made manifest that if we will have God approve our works, they must be according to his 
divine word. Thus we see what St. Paul's meaning is when he saith there is nothing clean to them that are unclean, and why? For even their mind and conscience are defiled. By this he showeth, as I before observed, that until such times as we have learned to serve God aright in a proper manner, we shall do no good at all by our own works, although we may flatter ourselves that they are of great importance, and by this means rock ourselves to sleep. Let us now see what the traditions of popery are. The chief end of them are to make an agreement with God by their works of supererogation, as they term them, that is, their surplus works, which are when they do more than God commandeth them. According to their own notions, they discharge their duty towards Him and content Him with such payment as they render by their works, and therefore make their account. When they have fasted their saints' evenings, when they have refrained from eating flesh upon Fridays, when they have attended Mass devoutly, when they have taken holy water, they think that God ought not to demand anything more of them, and that there is nothing amiss in them. But in the meantime, they cease not to indulge themselves in lewdness, whoredom, perjury, blasphemy, etc., every one of them giving himself to those vices. Yet notwithstanding, they think God ought to hold himself well paid with the works they offer him, as, for example, when they have taken holy water, worshipped images, rambled from altar to altar, and other like things, they imagine that they have made sufficient payment and recompense for their sins. But we hear the doctrine of the Holy Ghost concerning such as are defiled, which is, there is nothing pure nor clean in all their doings. But we will put the case by supposing that all the abominations of the papists were not evil in their own nature, yet notwithstanding, according to this doctrine of St. Paul, there can be nothing but uncleanness in them, for they themselves are sinful and unclean. The holiness of these men consists in gigaws and trifles. They endeavor to serve God in the things that He doth not require, and at the same time leave undone things that he hath commanded in his law. It has been the case in all ages that men have despised God's law for the sake of their own traditions. Our Lord Jesus Christ upbraided the Pharisees when he saith, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Matthew 15:3. Thus it was in former times, in the days of the prophets. Isaiah crieth out, Wherefore the Lord said, Forasmuch as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work and wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Chapter 25, verse 13. 
While men occupy themselves about traditions, they pass over the things that God hath commanded in his word. This it is that caused Isaiah to cry out against such as set forth men's traditions, telling them plainly that God threatened to blind the wisest of them, because they turned away from the pure rule of his word to follow their own foolish inventions. St. Paul likewise alludes to the same thing when he saith, They have no fear of God before their eyes. Let us not deceive ourselves. For we know that God requireth a man to live uprightly and to abstain from all violence, cruelty, malice, and deceit, that none of these things should appear in our life. But those that have no fear of God before their eyes, it is apparent that they are out of order, and that there is nothing but uncleanness in their whole life. If we wish to know how our life should be regulated, let us examine the contents of the Word of God, for we cannot be sanctified by outward show and pomp, although they are so highly esteemed among men. We must call upon God in sincerity and put our whole trust in Him. We must give up pride and presumption, and resort to Him with true lowliness of mind, that we be not given to fleshly affections. We must endeavor to hold ourselves in awe, under subjection to God, and flee from gluttony, whoredom, excess, robbery, blasphemy, and other evils. Thus we see what God would have us do in order to have our life well regulated. When men would justify themselves by outward works, it is like covering a heap of filth with a clean linen cloth. Therefore, let us put away the filthiness that is hidden in our hearts. I say, let us drive the evil from us, and then the Lord will accept of our life. Thus we may see wherein consists the true knowledge of God. When we understand this aright, it will lead us to live in obedience to His will. Men have not become so beastly as to have no understanding that there is a God who created them. But this knowledge, if they do not submit to His requirements, serves as a condemnation to them because their eyes are blindfolded by Satan, insomuch that although the gospel may be preached to them, they do not understand it. In this situation, we see many at the present day. How many there are in the world that have been taught by the doctrine of the gospel, and yet continue in brutish ignorance. This happeneth because Satan hath so prepossessed the minds of men with wicked affections that although the light may shine ever so bright, they still remain blind and see nothing at all. Let us learn, then, that the true knowledge of God is of such a nature that it showeth itself and yieldeth a fruit through our whole life. Therefore, to know God, as St. Paul said to the Corinthians, we must be transformed into his image. For if we pretend to know him, and in the meantime our life be loose and wicked, it needeth no witness to prove us liars. Our own life beareth sufficient record that we are mockers and falsifiers, and that we abuse the name of God. St. Paul saith in another place, If ye know Jesus Christ, 
ye must put off the old man. As if he should say, we cannot declare that we know Jesus Christ only by acknowledging him for our head and by his receiving us as his members, which cannot be done until we have cast off the old man and become new creatures. The world hath at all times abused God's name wickedly, as it doth still at this day. Therefore let us have an eye to the true knowledge of the word of God, whereof St. Paul speaketh. Finally, let us not put our own works into the balance, and say they are good, and that we think well of them. But let us understand that the good works are those which God hath commanded in his law, and that all we can do beside these are nothing. Therefore let us learn to shape our lives according to what God hath commanded, to put our trust in him, to call upon him, to give him thanks, to bear patiently whatsoever it pleaseth him to send us, to deal uprightly with our neighbors, and to live honestly before all men. These are the works which God requireth at our hands. If we were not so perverse in our nature, there would be none of us but what might discern these things. Even children would have skill enough to discern them. The works which God hath not commanded are but foolishness and an abomination, whereby God's pure service is marred. If we wish to know what constitutes the good works spoken of by St. Paul, we must lay aside all the inventions of men and simply follow the instructions contained in the word of God. For we have no other rule than that which is given by him which is such as he will accept. When we yield up our accounts at the last day, when he alone shall be the judge of all mankind, now let us fall down before the face of our good God, acknowledging our faults, praying him to make us perceive them more clearly, and to give us such trust in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may come to him, and be assured of the forgiveness of our sins, and that he will make us partakers of sound faith, whereby all our filthiness may be washed away. Chapter 6 The Sure Foundation Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Second Timothy 2.19 We noticed this morning what was said by St. Paul concerning those that had fallen away. In order to stir up the minds of the faithful to the end, they should not be troubled thereat. If we see those fall who seemed to uphold the church, as it were, we must not be shaken. For if men be frail, if they go astray out of the right way, if they be forward, it is no new thing, for such is their nature. Therefore we ought not marvel at it, if they fall into wickedness rather than godliness. But in the meantime, our salvation is settled upon the grace of our God, yea, insomuch that it pleased him to choose us before the world began, and to make us of the number of his chosen children. But we are grieved to see those who have shown some good tokens 
that they were the children of God, turn back. For we ought to possess a zeal to have the church of God enlarged and increased rather than diminished. We ought also to have a care of our brethren and to be sorry to see them perish. For it is no small matter to have the souls perish who were bought by the blood of Christ. Yet, notwithstanding, we must always comfort ourselves with this doctrine that God will maintain his church, although the number be but small, though it be not so great as we could wish it, yet we must content ourselves and believe he will safely keep all those he hath chosen. Those that fall away and those backsliders that renounce Jesus Christ, although they were joined to us, we must conclude that they were not of this number, seeing they have departed from us. For it is easier for the world to be turned about a thousand times than that one of God's chosen children, whom he holdeth fast to himself, should perish. It cannot be. For God is the protector of our salvation, as he himself hath declared. Yea, and this office is given to our Lord Jesus Christ, to maintain and keep all that God the Father hath chosen. This is what St. Paul meaneth by these words. The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. St. Paul setteth down two articles which we shall here notice. In the first place, when we see such a turning, that those who seemed to be the forwardest in religion give back and fall away from us, and so estrange themselves from the kingdom of God, that they become unbelievers, we must not think that the church falleth. It is true, the number of those whom we thought to be faithful is lessened by this means. But howsoever the world go, there is a sure foundation. That is to say, God will always keep his church, and there shall always be some to call upon him and worship him. Therefore let this be sufficient for us. For he hath declared that so long as the sun and moon endure, he will have some people to fear him throughout all generations. Psalm 72. If we see the devil scatter the flock of our Lord Jesus Christ, if we see those that have given some proof of a good hope fall away, yet notwithstanding, we may be assured that the building remaineth, even though it be hid from our view. For it hath remained when there was scarcely a Christian to be found in all the world. In what case were we forty years ago, before God gave us the light of his gospel, would it not have been thought that all Christianity had been banished out of the world? But yet, there was a foundation hid, that is, God reserved after a wonderful manner, such as he would, though it were but a small number. Therefore, the foundation of God standeth sure. When we see such troubles that we think all will come to naught, let us behold by faith this foundation, which cannot be seen by the eye of man. For if we have not faith to discern the church of God, we shall think it utterly abolished. We see what came to pass in the days of the prophet Elijah. He saith, 
The children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. 1 Kings 19.14 But the Lord reproveth him by telling him that he hath yet seven thousand in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so it will be at all times and seasons. We may think the church of God is utterly defaced and abolished, but he will keep the foundation sure. Secondly, St. Paul informs us that although the foundation of God standeth sure, yet it is as a letter closed up and sealed. And why so? Because the Lord knoweth them that are his. If God humble us and blind us, as it were, we must be content therewith. For he hath made his election sure, though it be hid from us. Although he will not make it known at first, yet, notwithstanding, it remaineth in his secret counsel. Therefore, if God know them that are his, let us not think it strange if we be often deceived when men revolt. Why so? For we know them not, but God will not be deceived. He will bring to an end whatsoever he hath determined in the counsel of his own will. St. Paul exhorteth us not to be negligent when we see those that were like angels among us fall from the right way, but to walk in fear and trembling, and beware that we do not abuse the name of God by cloaking ourselves falsely with the name of Christianity, as do the hypocrites who take the name of God in their mouth, and at the same time mock him and falsify his holy precepts. Let us practice that which is here contained, to wit, that if we call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, if we make profession to be His, we must depart from iniquity. For we are not of the church of God, unless we separate ourselves from the world and from the subtleties thereof. Therefore, let us consider whereunto we are called, what our condition is, and then let us be faithful and walk uprightly. For God can easily cut us off from his church, seeing he hath shown us such examples, if we have not made our profit by them. But now that we may apply this text better to our instruction, let us treat upon the point we have already mentioned, namely, the everlasting counsel of God, whereupon our election is grounded, upon which our salvation is surely settled. It is true, as the scripture saith, that we are saved by faith, for we know not that God is our Father, and that we are made partakers with Him only by faith, and by laying hold of the promises contained in the gospel, wherein God showeth that He accepteth us, and is pleased with us in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must accept of this benefit, or we cannot know him. So then, we are in possession of our salvation by faith. This is true. But who is it that giveth us faith, save God alone? And why doth he give it to us? Because it pleased him to choose us before we were made, yea, before the world itself was made. 
as St. Paul showeth, especially in the first chapter to the Ephesians. He setteth that before us which is most familiar to us, even that which we know, to wit, that God hath made us partakers of his heavenly blessings through Jesus Christ, that after he hath forgiven us our sins, he showeth us that we are acceptable to him, and that he hath taken us to be his children. Thus we have all that the gospel openeth to us. But St. Paul lifteth us up higher, saying, All that is given us is because God had chosen us before the world began, because he loved us in our Lord Jesus Christ before we could do either good or evil. This is what we shall now notice. Namely, although God draweth us to him by the gospel, and we by faith receive the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the cause of our salvation, yet notwithstanding, there was a secret love of God that went before. Yea, though it were hid from us, though God made no great haste in drawing us to him, yet it is certain that we were chosen. This is what St. Paul aimeth at in the sentence before us, to wit, the foundation of God standeth sure. He setteth this foundation of God against whatsoever virtue may be found in man. He setteth this sureness of which he speaketh against this frail state of ours. St. Paul, knowing that we are inconstant, and that we straightway fall and pass away like water, saith, We must take our sureness in God, for we perceive it is not in ourselves, neither in our nature. Therefore, if we find no certainty in things on earth, we must know that our salvation resteth upon God, and that he holdeth it in such a manner that it can never vanish away. This is a happy consideration. If I see a man become wicked, what can I say for myself? I am so likewise, but I must come to this conclusion. Though I am weak, God is steadfast and sure. Therefore, I must commit myself wholly into his hands. And for this cause, our Lord Jesus informs us that those whom the Father hath given him shall never perish. John 10. And why so? Because God the Father is stronger and more mighty than all those that would oppose him or endeavor to prevent him from executing his will. By these words he warneth us that if we put our trust in ourselves, we shall be utterly dismayed. And indeed, we should be liable to perish every minute if we were not upheld and maintained by a higher power than our own. But as the mighty power of God cannot be overcome, our salvation resteth sure, for God keepeth it. Yea, and as I said before, Jesus Christ hath taken charge of our souls, and will not suffer us to be taken out of his hands. Although the devil may do what he can, though he use ever so many means, although it may seem a hundred thousand times as though we should be taken by violence out of the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ, yet notwithstanding, we shall remain there forever. And why so? Because our salvation is settled upon the election of God and his unchangeable care.
counsel. Let us beware and take heed when we see others stumble and fall from the gospel. Let us observe what St. John saith in chapter 2. Those that went from us were not of us. Otherwise, they could never have been separated from us. We must know that God suffered hypocrites to remain among us for a season, although he knew they were reprobate. Our Lord Jesus plainly showeth that the faithful ought not to be troubled through the unthankfulness of men when they rebel against the gospel, for they are grieved at the true doctrine and are at defiance with God. Jesus Christ saith, Every tree which God the Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. He compareth those who seem to be of the number of the faithful to trees that are planted in a field or garden. Those that are open enemies to God bear no resemblance to trees, but the hypocrites who make a fair show and would be taken for God's children seem to be like trees planted in a field or garden, but they take no root because God did not plant them, that is to say, He did not choose them. In order to try us, he suffereth them to pretend the name of God falsely, yet notwithstanding. He never adopted them for his children, neither are they chosen to the inheritance of life. Therefore, they must be plucked up. If any one becomes dissatisfied with the gospel, men will say, Behold, such a man hath fallen away. If there fall out any stumbling block, I speak not of those who show themselves open enemies to God and manifestly contemn his word. If there be any who are proud and lofty, who cannot abide sound doctrine, who reject it and are grieved with it, they become a stumbling block. Therefore the disciple asked our Lord Jesus Christ, why the scribes and Pharisees were not edified. Let them alone, saith he, they are blind. But beware ye, go not to destruction with them. We must know that all are not elected and chosen of God the Father. Some will say there is nothing but holiness in them, but this is a mistake, for it is evident that they never had any fear of God before their eyes, but are hypocrites. Therefore we must not be dismayed if we see rebellion in men, for all are not planted by the hand of God. Thus we see how we must make our profit of this doctrine. We must know, first of all, that faith is given us from above. God having lightened us by his Holy Spirit, we receive the gospel, yet not by our own wit and virtue. God giveth us this grace because he had chosen us for his children and adopted us before the beginning of the world, which is a singular and inestimable blessing bestowed upon us while others are left to perish. He was at liberty to choose whom he would. Therefore it behooveth us to know that we are so much the more bound to him because he hath delivered us out of the general destruction of mankind. Let us consider that it is very profitable for us to understand this free election of God, which maketh a difference between his children and the castaways. 
When we see troubles and offenses in the church, when we see those who had begun well turn aside from the true way, we must remember that men are frail. Yet notwithstanding, we shall find sufficient assuredness in our God, because he hath been graciously pleased to adopt us for his children. Therefore he will keep us through Jesus Christ according to his promise. Let us resort to the election of God whenever we become dismayed or cast down. If we see men fall away, if the whole church should seem to come to naught, we must remember that God hath his foundation, that is, the church is not grounded upon the will of men, for they did not make themselves, neither can they reform themselves. But this proceedeth from the pure goodness and mercy of God. Although the upper part of the building be, as it were, overthrown, though we see no pillars, though the form and shape of it appear no more, yet God will keep the foundation sure, which never can be shaken. Thus the world may see whether the doctrine of God's election, which we preach, be needless or not. We must not presume to enter into the secret counsel of God to thoroughly comprehend his wonderful secrets, but if this be hid from us, to know that God chose us before the world was made, is it not to deprive us of a comfort which is not only profitable for us, but even necessary? The devil can find no better means to destroy our faith than to hide this article from our view. What case should we be in, and especially nowadays when there are so many rebels and hypocrites in the world, yea, and such as men are looking for wonders at their hands? Might we not fear the same would befall us? How can we rest ourselves with constancy upon God and commit ourselves to Him with settled hearts? not doubting, but that he will take care of us to the end, unless we flee to this election as our only refuge. If this is not true, it seemeth that God hath broken his promise, which was given us respecting his gospel, and that Jesus Christ is banished out of the world. This is the principal cause and the best means that Satan can devise to destroy our love for the gospel. Therefore, let us hold fast these weapons in spite of Satan and all his imps, for these must be our defense. Let us be confirmed in the election of our God, and make it available, and see that it be not taken from us, if we love the salvation of our own souls. Let us attend well to these things. We must consider those who would hide such a doctrine from us, our mortal enemies. The devil stirreth them up to deprive us of a comfort, which, if we did not enjoy, we cannot be assured of our salvation. However, we must remember this exhortation of the Apostle Paul, that every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. As the election of God is to give us a sure constancy to make us happy in the midst of trouble, which otherwise might disquiet us, we must not cease to call upon him, to run to him, and to walk diligently in the way wherein he hath called us. There is a great difference between the assurance of the faithful, who are thoroughly persuaded of the surety of their salvation, 
and those who are negligent and careless and think no harm can overtake them. These are as blocks. They know not the danger that surroundeth them, which should induce them to flee to God for protection. But on the contrary, after they have been once instructed, they never pay any more attention to doctrine. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.